This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. The pace of vaccination is slowing, not just in Florida, but nationwide. The problem, vaccine hesitancy and partisan politics definitely plays a part. The concern is that we're going to have uh, two nations, uh, a nation that is uh, well on its way to interrupting virus transmission and another that's still at the early stages of that. Blue states have the highest percentage of vaccinations. Red states are at the bottom of the list. Some experts are worried there are so many Americans who won't get vaccinated that we'll never reach herd immunity. And Governor Ron DeSantis is expecting another summer surge of COVID-19. So I think as we get into uh, June, in the, towards the middle end of June, I think you will likely see the Sun Belt have uh, a more prevalence than we're going to have in May. I think that that's been this has been a pretty consistent pattern, but that will definitely be mitigated by the vaccination immunity and the population immunity through infection. The governor signs a bill that says cities and counties that try to do anything about guns can be sued by the public and face additional penalties. The reason those additional penalties were put in place is because after the legislature passed the law in 1987, local governments thumbed their nose at this body, thumbed the nose at the legislature and said, we do not care and we will continue to regulate firearms because there are no penalties. Our record on this topic is shamefully, uniquely bad. People have died because we didn't do our jobs. But worse than that, this body has decided to prevent local elected officials from doing their jobs. A legal challenge to the preemption law is already making its way through the courts. The governor gets a chopper ride to check out the algae in Lake Okeechobee. He's worried the Army Corps of Engineers may start releasing some of that water into nearby estuaries. We are seeing evidence of blooms in and around the lake. Um, and because of these, uh, these high levels, you know, we are assuming that the Corps is going to be discharging uh, some of this, this water with uh, a lot of algae content. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a young Florida man who did not want to stop fighting when the law showed up. So he turned on the deputy and got a taste of the taser. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, May 11th. This is National Eat What You Want Day, National Third Shift Workers Day, and National Twilight Zone Day. It honors the original TV show, not the gay vampires. On this date in 1969, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin created the British comedy troupe Monty Python. In 1989, President George H.W. Bush ordered nearly 2,000 U.S. troops into Panama. And on this date in 1996, a value jet DC-9 nosedived into the Everglades at more than 500 miles per hour shortly after taking off from Miami. All 110 people on board died. Investigators say the fire was caused by an improper storage of some chemical oxygen generators that are slightly larger than a can of tennis balls. There's a memorial to the victims, 110 concrete pillars. They're located just north of the Tamiami Trail. The state health department reported 2,296 new cases of COVID Monday, the lowest number in almost a month. There were also 53 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 36,498. Speaking of numbers, more than 7 million Floridians have now completed their vaccinations. 2.2 million are waiting on their second shot. But if you look at the national stats, we're really not doing that well. Less than a third of the population has been vaccinated. Florida ranks 32nd in the nation. There's also been a significant decline in the number of Floridians signing up for shots. Dr. Peter Hotetz of the Baylor College of Medicine says politics is definitely a factor because red states are trailing the blue states. 
if you look at the vaccination trackers, what you're seeing is a is a is a marked disparity. And and so the top states that are being vaccinated are up in New England, um, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, and New York State, and California, and New Mexico, and they're hitting around 60% of the population with a single dose and 40% with two doses. And as that starts going up a little more, it'll start approaching uh, what Israel has accomplished, 50% with two doses and even 65 up to 70% with a single dose. And then the numbers will start to decline. Unfortunately, the, the rest of the country is not necessarily following suit. And when you look at the bottom 10 states, they're all deep red states. So it's Wyoming, uh, Idaho, up in the mountain area, and then in the south, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, they're in almost half that level. Um, so really, so uh, terribly underachieving. So the concern is that we're gonna have uh, two nations, uh, a nation that is uh, well on its way to interrupting virus transmission, and another that's still at the early stages of that. President Biden has set a goal of getting 70% of the population vaccinated by the 4th of July, but the red states are not making that easy. And Dr. Hotez says a big part of the vaccine hesitancy is being driven by bad actors on social media, including the Russians. My colleagues at the Center for Countering Digital Hate estimate around 58 million followers on these anti-vaccine group uh, sites, social media sites. So it's become massive. And we now know the Russian government has been piling on with this systematic program of what's being called weaponized health communication that is specifically working to discredit COVID-19 vaccines. The third element, though, is, and the one that's really been targeting me lately, is these links to political extremism on the far right and white nationalism groups. And, and that's relative, that's newer in the sense that we started seeing it around 2015 under the spanner of health freedom, medical freedom here in Texas, but it's become much more pervasive and cutting across uh, the country and even across elements of, of the Republican Party and GOP. And, and that gives me a lot of uh, pause for concern that this new third component may, may be the worst yet for us. Governor Ron DeSantis has encouraged Floridians to get vaccinated, but he's also contributed to the hesitancy with his frequent criticism of federal health officials. Remember the pause after the Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine was linked to rare blood clots? He accused the CDC and the FDA of bungling the situation. And I must say that, you know, we're not helped in this regard by the behavior of some of these these public health people, uh, particularly in the federal government. I mean, how they handled the J&J, &J, I think, was a huge mistake. I mean, like we obviously I don't know the information they have, but if you're going to do that, you could have done that in a way that was not going to cause a lot of people to lose confidence. If you look at how people view J&J &J now, the, the, the positive view plunged as a result. So I think it could have been handled better. But Dr. Vin Gupta at the University of Washington says there is nothing wrong with the way the feds handled the pause on the J&J &J vaccine. He says it would have been wrong to withhold or disguise the information. Certainly there have been some negative effects. I don't know if they were avoidable because I ultimately think it was the right move. One, as a clinician myself, it's helpful to know that this is an exceptionally rare risk, potentially in middle-aged women and younger, but that it's one in a million. Having said all that, I, I would be uh, not being transparent with you right now if I if I didn't acknowledge that there has been some spillover effect. That when I talk to young athletes, to workforces um, that are on the front lines, whether it's um, in, in retail stores across the country or you name it in healthcare systems, they ask, well, hey, doc, can I get a blood clot from Pfizer or Moderna? So there has been spillover. There has been this 
weakening of confidence as a result. I think it's just going to take time. Most people are reachable. They just need it explained. But this, this has put the onus on all of us to be better explainers, more patient explainers, and to have, uh, in many ways, less in the way of mass communication events and more one-on-one -on -one engagement or small group engagement so we can really get at these questions. If somebody says, well, I don't want to get the vaccine because I'm worried about Johnson & Johnson, luckily, we're in a place where we have options. We are fortunate here in this country, and we don't have time to waste. So I say, well, if that's the issue, well, we'll just get you a different vaccine. So I, I, I don't try to convince them if they're not reachable on J&J. &J, I just say, let's just move on. So I also think we just need to be realistic. And despite the vaccine hesitancy, Dr. Gupta believes America can still reach that 70% vaccination goal. The most vulnerable among us are vaccinated, or largely so, which is why most health systems across the country are no longer under stress, meaning at least 30% of ICU beds are, are taken up by COVID patients. And so... We're overall doing well. I am optimistic that there's going to be, uh, even though we're seeing these day, daily vaccination rates uh, slightly dip from, from a peak that was a few months ago, I am optimistic that we're actually going to see us reach 70% plus by the middle of July. And it's purely because a lot of younger individuals, people I speak to, workforces, you name it, they just want to see their friends get it, or they just want to see more data, or they want to see the signal from the FDA that they're going to move towards full approval. So with all these things happening, it's really going to be a boon for us. I think we're going to get to 70%, even though it might take a little bit of time. Doctors Gupta and Hotez were interviewed by the Washington Post as part of live coverage of the coronavirus. The governor was in South Florida Monday to get a look at the algae on Lake Okeechobee, and he was asked if Florida has made it to the other side of the COVID pandemic. Well, the governor said it will never go away completely. In fact, he's expecting another increase in the summer, just like last year. And so I think as we get into uh, June, in the, towards the middle end of June, I think you will likely see the Sun Belt have uh, a more prevalence than we're going to have in May. I think that that's been, this has been a pretty consistent pattern, but that will definitely be mitigated by the vaccination immunity and the population immunity through infection. And so it's going to be something that is never going to go to zero. Uh, fortunately, we have vaccines that are readily available. We have monoclonal antibody treatments, which have been pretty doggone effective as well. Uh, so I think it's just in a much different posture than where we were. I don't think you're going to see the number of, of, of hospitalized even come, come close to what we had uh, last July. I think we had about 9,500 uh, patients being treated for COVID at our peak. I think now we're like 2,700. Um, and if you look at the hospital census, I think we're probably as low as we've been since last November. Um, and I think the part of that's seasonal for sure, but I do think part of that is for the vaccine. There's never going to be a time where there will be zero COVID in the world um, because you look back, pathogens that were here 100 years ago are still here, uh, but obviously we're in a much better place to be able to deal with it. I think the chance of hospitals being overwhelmed is functionally zero here in Florida and anywhere um, in the United States. And, and that's remember, that was the whole basis for doing the 15 days to slow the spread was because they said all the hospitals, you know, you'd have thousands of people that wouldn't ever be able to have hospital beds in, in all these cities in the United States. Fortunately, that never happened. That never came to pass. And if it didn't come to pass when there was no vaccine and no immunity, I think the chance that that would come to pass going forward um, is pretty, pretty close to zero. So no, no, it doesn't go away. People just need to understand that. 
The governor has signed a bill that turns the screws on cities and counties that try to pass any sort of gun regulations. Representative Cord Bird of Neptune Beach says it will expand a 2011 law that can force local governments to pay as much as $100,000 in damages if they are sued over gun regulations. The reason those additional penalties were put in place is because after the legislature passed the law in 1987, local governments thumbed their nose at this body, thumbed the nose at the legislature and said, we do not care and we will continue to regulate firearms because there are no penalties. That is why those penalty provisions were put in in 2011. We're dealing with a fundamental constitutional right. As much as you do not like it, when you stood at the front of this chamber and took an oath to support and defend the constitution, that meant all of it, including the second amendment. It is a fundamental constitutional right that we are discussing and that we are protecting. The bill passed along party lines, Republicans saying yes, Democrats saying no. Representative Omari Hardy says if lawmakers preempt local government, well, then it becomes the state's responsibility to come up with some way to reduce gun violence. And the legislature has done virtually nothing. Our record on this topic is shamefully, uniquely bad. People have died because we didn't do our jobs. But worse than that, this body has decided to prevent local elected officials from doing their jobs. And so not only have people lost their lives because we couldn't step up to the plate, but we are restraining locally elected officials who know their communities. We got 26 people of color a day dying in this country due to gun violence. This piece of legislation Far from solving a problem creates more problems. It restrains even more the ability of local government to address this epidemic that is killing people in communities across this state and across the country. Last month, the first district court of appeal upheld that 2011 law. The city of Tallahassee is asking the Florida Supreme Court to review that decision. The governor gets a bird's eye view of algae in Lake Okeechobee. Water levels are rising, the rainy season is getting close, and DeSantis is worried the Army Corps of Engineers will start releasing some of that slimy water into local estuaries. We were very happy with 2019 and 2020 in terms of how the lake was managed by the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, there was a desire and um, a plan to try to minimize harmful discharges uh, over uh, the summer months, which is obviously when we're at most risk to have uh, algal blooms uh, in our estuaries. And uh, if you look, those last two years, I mean, we had very, very little in the way of, of harmful discharges during, during these summer months. Um, unfortunately, that's been a little bit different now this year. Uh, the lake is now 2.5 feet higher uh, than it was in the previous two years. And so if you have normal type of rainy season uh, in the state of Florida, uh, that very well may precipitate uh, the Army Corps doing some of these harmful discharges uh, this summer. We are seeing evidence of blooms in and around the lake. Um, and because of these, uh, these high levels, you know, we are assuming that the Corps is going to be discharging uh, some of this, this water with a, a lot of algae content. You know, our uh, message going forward is the 19 and 20 approach to managing the lake was really much more effective than what we've seen. And as we go forward, we want that to be done in a way that is going to put a premium on 
uh, reducing or eliminating harmful discharges during the, the wet season, during the summer season. So we are urging the Army Corps to allow for the type of flexibility that was really done in 2019 and 2020 to avoid harmful discharges in our estuaries and to improve lake management during the dry season. You know, during the dry season, you know, may, maybe St. Lucie doesn't necessarily want it, but Caloosahatchee wanted more water during the, during the winter months. They, they could have taken a lot more than what they got. Obviously, sending water south, south, and, and there's infrastructure needs to go into that, but that's what you really um, want to be doing. Take advantage of the dry season. Take advantage of sending water when you don't have the algae to places that want the water. Keep the lake uh, level lower so that you have the ability to absorb rainy season without doing these harmful discharges. The chairman of the South Florida Water Management District, Chauncey Goss, says there are two things that need to be done now to improve the health of the lake and reduce those slimy discharges into the Caloosahatchee and St. Lucie rivers for good. There are two major things that need to be done both to improve the health of the lake and to reduce damaging discharge once and for all. The first is projects have to be built around the lake. Those are storage projects. We're working on them. And the second, the Corps must improve how the lake is managed. To really realize the benefit of all these projects, the Corps needs to improve how it manages Lake Okeechobee. The status quo of lake management that uses the estuaries as a de facto dumping ground for excess lake water it needs to stop. We can no longer view the estuaries as a zero-risk discharge option. We've seen firsthand the lives and the businesses that have been impacted by those discharges, and we need to have carefully assess and manage the impact discharges have to our environment to our economy, and to our health. The Army Corps has a great opportunity to move away from the problems of the past, a past in which our estuaries were frequent victims of discharges from Lake Okeechobee, a past in which our economies really suffered, and a past in which the estuaries, the Everglades, and Florida Bay all simultaneously suffered from a lack of water. Today, Lake Okeechobee is too high. We're bracing for what this summer is going to bring, and at the Water Management District, we're taking every opportunity we have to lower lake levels. We're moving as much water south as we can, and we're expediting the projects that we can. The Corps of Engineers is working on a new water control manual for Lake Okeechobee. The governor says if they send more water south during the dry season, they won't have to release the dirty water into the estuaries during the rainy season. The governor appoints a Tallahassee attorney by the name of Gabrielle Pasadomo to serve on the Public Service Commission, the folks who sign off on your power bills. Pasadomo is a Gator Law School grad who's been working as an attorney for the PSC. She's got all the qualifications for the job, but perhaps the most important thing going for her is dear old mom, Kathleen Pasadomo. She chairs the all-powerful rules committee in the state Senate and takes over as Senate president after next year's election. Remember the saying that it's not what you know, it's who you know? That is especially true here in Tallahassee. Your calendar of events, the State Surgeon General Scott Rifkes and the CEO of Florida Power & Light are among the speakers at the Florida Chamber's Leadership Conference on Safety, Health and Sustainability. It starts at 7.45 in the morning in Orlando. The Board of the Suwannee River Water Management District meets at 9 in Live Oak. The Board of the St. John's River Water Management District meets at 9.30 in Palatka. The Florida House is holding two online courses for lawmakers today as they prepare for a special legislative session about gambling. The 10 a.m. course covers the history of gaming in Florida. The second course at 1 will be about the current gaming landscape. The special session is next week. The Florida State University Presidential Search Advisory Committee meets at 10. They'll continue working on finding a successor to retiring President John Thrasher. 
And finally today, a Florida teen is jailed after punching a Collier County deputy. 18-year-old Zhonglao Barajas was fighting with another man when the deputy arrived. He told them to stop. They kept fighting, so the officer pulled his taser and said, get on the ground. The other guy did, but the deputy says Barajas charged and punched him in the head. So he zapped Florida man, and that was the end of it. The guy's charged with battery on a law enforcement officer, resisting an officer with violence and disorderly conduct. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. And if you see my voice, send it back here, okay? 